Hello and welcome to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator Simon Good. In this episode of the podcast, I'll be talking about the topic of people making negative comments and specifically dealing with situations when those negative comments make you upset. It might be because they were designed to make you upset, it's an insult, someone's trying to push your buttons or get under your skin, or maybe it's just something that has struck a nerve within you for whatever reason. It's, you know, a comment that's made you either feel uncomfortable or maybe you've experienced it as criticism or judgment. Maybe it's made you self-conscious or embarrassed or just hurt. Maybe you feel almost a sense of betrayal or... Um, anger maybe at the person who's said something that's upset you you know you can't say that about my mum whatever so in the podcast today I'll be talking about some strategies that we can use to manage those kind of situations where someone else is making negative comments the reason that I thought this would be a helpful topic is because it's a very commonly asked question when I'm running conflict resolution training workshops and actually I was talking to someone just a, a week ago It actually was not related directly to the workshop. We were talking about workplace conflict and workplace communication, specifically dealing with clients and clarifying and setting realistic expectations. But this question actually was brought to me after the session. One of the ladies stayed that was in the training. Um, She said a few kind words about how useful it was. And then she said, can I just ask you something about my ex-partner? And for me, when I first became a mediator, I worked for a long time with families post-separation. Often court-ordered clients would come and see us in some of the programs that I worked in. And it was the... Like, I I still feel almost a little bit traumatised by just the relentless level of some of these conflicts, the vindictiveness, the seething hatred that these people would feel towards each other. And... I think the reason I've been so affected is because, you know, I could deal two people hating each other, deal with two people hating each other, but the kids involved in these situations was just so heartbreaking for me. I trained for a while as a counsellor working with kids post-separation and I ran different therapeutic group programs. And so I'm always, I think when someone comes and says, can I talk to you about my ex-partner? To be honest, I think because of my background, I immediately start to think about family violence and Uh, coercive controlling patterns of behavior and then all of this is within the framework of a legislation legislative process and you know there's um, the family law act in australia and other countries would have similar acts governing what people can and can't do with their kids after they separate or get a divorce and so i could tell though with the the way that this person spoke was that she was feeling really um, probably quite traumatized by the current conflict, like shaking a little bit and her voice was quivering. And immediately as she started talking, she had tears in her eyes. So she had a young child, I think five years old from memory, and they were going to spend time with dad every week. So every weekend they would meet and do a changeover kind of thing, a handover where mum would meet and the kids would go off with dad. And apparently dad's new partner, his new girlfriend, often made negative comments about this lady I was talking to. Um, But the thing was more to do with the dad's comments and she could handle the comments about her appearance made by the new girlfriend. But the thing that she said really upset her was the negative comments constantly made about her kid. This is a five-year-old and implying that she's not being a good mom. So she said that the dad would often say things like, 
uh, you know, what, what's wrong with him? Do you even feed him every time I see him? He's more skinny than the time before. I mean, that's just an example, but she was really worried not just about the effect on herself. I mean, implying that she's a bad mum, that was something that upset her, especially given that she at least felt that this guy had never actually been interested in being a parent until they separated. And actually, he's probably still not. It's his new girlfriend who wants the kids, but whatever. That aside, her bigger concern was about the child, hearing these negative comments made about him, like you're skinny, and then also, you know, negative comments made about mum. And sort of the implication here is that if kids are made of half mum and half dad, then when we hear negative comments made about one of our parents, it's not the same as hearing negative comments made about a stranger. There's a self-reference involved, and it might mean that it impacts on his self-perception. So anyway, the mum was talking about what can she do about these negative comments, and so we went through a few different um, topics and talked about her situation. And as I say, it's what's prompted me to to bring up this as a topic on the podcast. It's not just post-separation and family situations, though clients will make rude comments every now and then. Do you even know what you're doing? This whole place is a complete joke. Finally, um, someone who seems to have a brain in their head. You know, these negative derisive types of comments that people often experience getting from clients or it might even be colleagues making rude comments about you, a a boss who's insensitive or a bit of a bully. And people often come to me and ask questions like, what can I do to stop it? So I suppose what I often begin as we're talking about this topic of how to deal with negative comments is I say to them, well, what's your goal in that situation? Because what I've noticed is that people often have this implied or subconscious goal of stopping it. How do I stop it? And I often say, well, what's your goal in that situation? I want to stop the negative comments. Well, let's think about this for a moment. It sounds like what you'd like to do is not prevent the negative impact the negative comments are making on you. Like as we drill down to it, it's not so much that they want to control the other person and you know, of course, if they could wave a magic wand, they'd like to be treated respectfully, etc. But if we go down to like, what's the good enough, what can you live with <laughs> type of goal, like let's just put success in the most attainable version of it as possible to give us the best chance of getting there, what would that look like? It's that they're not affected. The other person can say whatever they want and it doesn't affect them. Or maybe the goal actually is that uh, they're wanting to be able to support the other people involved in the situation and minimize the negative impact on them. So we might have a longer term goal of stopping it, but in the meantime, we've got other goals like minimizing the negative impact on us and supporting other people involved. And I think the reason why people lose sight of those other goals and maybe they just focus on the goal of stopping it is because they haven't considered what I often call the circles of control. If you think about three concentric circles moving out, like three circles inside each other, like a target on a dartboard almost, a bow and arrow you might shoot at, in the middle would be you and immediately surrounding you are the things that you can control. It's often what you say and what you do. There's also a level outside of that, the next ring out, which is what we can influence. There's things that we can ask for, we can persuade someone else, we can give information, we can try to convince someone that something's right or wrong or to do something or to stop doing something. But ultimately, we can't fully control what someone else does. And we definitely can't control what someone else thinks and what someone else feels. 
And again, often in conflict training, I say something like, well, they're just being ridiculous. I told them clearly this is what was going to happen. And then it happened and they had the audacity to act surprised. And I often say to them, well, you know, what do you care if they act surprised? <laughs> or maybe they're genuinely feeling surprised, as illogically as illogical as that might be to you. Um, you know, you can sort of imagine why they might be surprised if they didn't read the emails that you've sent and they've misunderstood what you've told them. And again, to some extent, it's like, who cares? Just let them feel surprised. <laughs> You're interpreting that as criticism on you that you didn't communicate clearly or you didn't clarify expectations. But you don't need to take that on board. If they're trying to pass you that negative emotion, you don't need to walk over and take it out of their hands, right? So there's things that we can influence. We can't control what someone else does or what they think or what they feel. And actually, to a large extent, we might not need to. Just let them feel what they're feeling. It'll be fine. <laughs> so outside of that are the things that you actually have no control over. The third circle, the outside circle, is actually things that you might wish were different. They might be negative imp Im negatively impacting you and you're concerned about them. You'd like them to stop, you'd like them to change, but ultimately there's nothing you can do about it. I can remember a lot of my friends and family really bitterly upset about the way that coronavirus you know, restrictions and lockdowns and stuff were managed, vaccine issues, and people had very strong views about what politicians should do or which laws should be made or not made, and ultimately they had no influence over that. Maybe they could write to their local member of parliament and express their views, but beyond that, they can't change it. And so they're engaged in this, I think, quite a destructive pattern of rumination, just constantly getting stuck in thought patterns around how unfair this all is or how wrong all of this is, when ultimately it's not going to make any difference at all. <laughs> and so I often question the logic of spending too much time thinking about those kind of things or focusing on those areas that you can really do absolutely nothing about. They need to understand that I've been generous until this point. Well, where would we put that goal? It's probably in that area of influence. You could talk to them about the efforts that you've made and how generous you've been, but you know, do you really think realistically they're going to understand just how much effort you've made as a separated parent, given that they're focused on their new partner and their new kid and, you know, they're probably in trouble at work and challenged with finances and all the rest of it? Do you really need them to think that about you? Or maybe what really needs to happen is that you're strong enough internally not to care what they think of you. So if we think about this goal of negative comments, I'll talk about some strategies to deal with it, like uh, confront someone about that. But really a short-term goal has to be about not being affected by these negative comments as much as you are. To get over it as quickly as possible or to navigate situations when the negative comments are made. Now, I'm not sort of saying that all of these goals are equal. We do want to stop the behavior. But the first goal, the primary goal, has to be about self-management, self-regulation, not getting affected, not having your buttons pushed when you're dealing with someone and that's a situation where your buttons are getting pushed. The reason for this is that when we're feeling upset, we're feeling angry, we're feeling concerned, we're feeling embarrassed, overwhelmed, whatever, 
It has an effect on both our thoughts and our behaviour. We don't think as clearly. The front section of our brain responsible for our higher level thinking is not functioning at the same capacity when we move into fight or flight mode, which often accompanies very strong feelings like anger. And it also has an effect on our behaviour. We speak quicker. (laughs) We speak louder. We interrupt someone. We don't pay attention to as many things. We develop tunnel vision. The adrenaline starts pumping through our system. We might find it difficult even to catch our breath, breath or to concentrate. So the more worked up that we get, it's going to impact both your ability to think clearly and rationally and your behavior. And if our goal is to address negative comments in a calm and confident way, being assertive but not coming across as aggressive, the first prerequisite for that will be keeping calm ourselves. So that's often why I think the first goal needs to be about managing your own reaction to the comments. And probably secondarily to that would be supporting the other people involved and managing your reaction to them being affected. If you see your child being affected by this negative comment, it's going to be very difficult for you to stay calm. You'll you know, escalate and then they're probably likely to take any kind of communication from you as aggressive. They'll become defensive and then before you know it, you're probably in the same negative spiral as you always have been. What's that saying? If you always do what you've always done, then you'll always get what you've already got. (laughs) So we need to find a way to stay calm. And I've talked about that in previous episodes of the podcast, self-regulation, support other people involved. In terms of actually addressing the negative comment, the framework that I often suggest is what, ask, check. So there's three steps in that uh, process. It's from a book called Positive Confrontations by a lady called uh, Barbara Pachter, I think is her name. Um, I, I've sort of adapted and used it a little bit different to how she did in the book, but I like those three headings, what, ask, check. So what's about describing what did the person do and maybe the consequence of that, but we need to do it in a way that's neutral and mutual, by which I mean we don't want to attribute blame, we don't want to imply that the other person's being a jerk or they're being unreasonable or they're an idiot. We just want to state the behavior neutrally. So I might say something like, this is the third time you've made a comment about my appearance. If that's what I'm upset about at work, is my boss talking about the outfits that I'm wearing or something like that. You could say something like, this is the third time that you've criticized my work in front of the rest of the team. If that's what I'm upset about is that my boss is giving me negative feedback in public. Maybe it's something like, you know, this is the third time that you've made negative comments about my parenting. And actually, you've also often referred to the way that, you know, Jimmy, our son, looks when you've made those comments. So I'm labeling that behavior in a neutral way. You've made this comment, you've said this, you've referred to this, you've talked about this. And I'm not saying this is the third idiotic, moronic comment that's completely inappropriate that you've made this week. As soon as we put those kind of negative labels on it, it really decreases the other person's engagement with what we're saying and therefore their buy-in for what we're asking them to do. So we don't want to upset them, we don't want to make them angry, but we do want to raise the issue in a neutral and mutual way. By mutual, maybe there's moments where you might say something like, "Uh, look, I just want to talk to you about these comments that I've heard you making recently about my parents. It sounds like we've got a different set of expectations about that and I was hoping to clarify things. Maybe you would say something like, uh, look, you know, I 
probably other people don't mind you making comments about their work in front of the rest of the team though. Um, for me, I actually find those kind of situations uncomfortable. I was hoping to talk to you and maybe figure out a way to still receive feedback and get feedback on my work, but maybe just let you know a bit about how I was feeling and see if there might be some options that would work for both of us. And have you got five minutes now? Would it be better if I come back later? So we do the what. This is a negative comment that you've made and maybe the mutual part is that we've got different expectations around this or different norms or... Uh, we've probably got a different idea of what's appropriate and what's not or the best timing for this or the best way to have these conversations. You might say something like it's the third time or the second time just to let them know that you've not just uh, putting them, what would you say, you don't want to come across as if you're overreacting. So at least explaining that it's a brief pattern might at least help them to understand that, you know, there's some levity, there's some seriousness to this topic for you. Um, so you don't necessarily need to talk about that it's inappropriate or it's against the rules or anything like that. It's perfectly fine just to say, look, when these comments happen, it makes me feel self-conscious. Um, or look, I just want to talk to you about these comments because I'm not sure that you would make them to all of the other members of the team. And it makes me conscious that I'm being treated differently, something like that. Um, you could say something like it makes me feel embarrassed or uh, I think it's um, lowering my authority within other people who are watching, that maybe there's a practical uh, consequence that you could talk about. There's no right and wrong. It really depends on the situation and the context, I guess. So that's the what. The second step in the process is the ask, which is where we ask the person to change their behavior. What do you want them to do? Can you please not make those kind of comments? Would you mind holding off on those kind of comments during the team meetings when everyone's there? Uh, could you please not comment on my appearance unless you feel like it's outside of HR guidelines? The final step in the process then is ask, which is where we basically check in. Uh, look, would, would that be okay? Could you please not make those kind of, com those kind of comments about my appearance? Uh, would, would that be all right? Are there any issues with this on your end? I don't know, maybe I'm misreading things. What's your take on the situation? Does that sound like something you can agree to? We're basically just saying, look, how is that sitting with you? Most of the time the person just says, yep, no worries. But at least again, we've sort of confirmed their buy-in rather than just saying, can you not make those kind of comments and walking away? And then I guess we're just hoping that the other person's on board with what we've effectively just demand that they do. It also might mean though that they raise an excuse or a reason why for their behavior in the past or maybe even why it can't change. And I often say that that's actually a good thing. It's better to put that topic on the table and talk it through. So maybe you say to someone like, can you please not comment on my appearance? And they say, would that be okay? And they say something like, I had no idea that that was something that you were sensitive about. And then I guess we can then decide what do we do there? We could just be firm and say, uh, look, I'd appreciate if you don't make those kind of comments. Just reinforce what we've already asked. We don't need to take the bait, <laughs> open up the can of worms of them implying that we're overly sensitive or something like that. Um, we could say something like, it's not that I'm sensitive to it, it's that I feel like these comments aren't appropriate. Could you please not make them moving forward? Is that manageable on your end? Or look, is that okay? Would that be all right? Are there any issues with that? Uh, so we, it's almost better that then we let them say you're being overly sensitive and we say, nevertheless, I still want you to do it. Again, it sort of just takes that excuse off the table that they can use 
we're holding them more to account. We've put them on notice by just being that little bit more direct. So just to summarize then, the approach that I would suggest is that what ask check framework, what did they do, ask for the change in behavior, and then some type of check-in or just confirming that that would be okay. But followed by, as I said earlier, just that real effort and focus on minimizing the impact of the negative comments on yourself, both in the moment as well as after the interaction. That often needs a longer-term deliberate focus on self-care, balance, and well-being, something like a regular 10-minute meditation practice every day or doing five or 10 minutes of yoga at the beginning and at the end of the day, which improves your flexibility, helps you sleep better, decreases the level of cortisol, the stress hormone pumping through your system. And then the next day when you show up, then you're more likely to not be affected as well because you're in that more balanced state versus going from that horrible interaction with your ex-partner home, having three glasses of wine, falling asleep at 4 p.m., waking up at 9 p.m., having a really hard time getting back to sleep, showing up the next day to pick up your kid and you're frazzled and a little bit hungover and probably quite hypervigilant to negative comments that are made and more likely to escalate and react when someone like your ex-partner is trying to push your buttons. If you have a question or a comment about the podcast, you can email podcast at simongood.com. Otherwise, all the best. Thank you very much for listening and I hope that it's been helpful for you to navigate and manage your conflicts that you're involved in or supporting other people through at the moment. Bye for now.